0: Welcome back to the MarTech
1: Podcast. Today we're going to continue our conversation about what it takes to land a great job in marketing. Joining us is Julie Puckett, who is the founder and partner at Blaze Search, which is a retained executive search firm with a strong global network and a mission to match talented executives with purpose-driven organizations that aim to do good for the world. Yesterday, Julie and I talked about some of the common themes on marketing resumes that can lead you to getting an interview. And today we're going to discuss the best ways to get from an interview into the marketing executive role. Okay. Here's the second part of our interview with Julie Puckett, founder and partner at Blaze Search. Julie, welcome back to the Martech podcast. Thanks, Ben. Great to have you back on the show. Yesterday, we talked a lot about how to write a resume, how to frame up your experience and talk about what you're trying to accomplish and who you are. And let's say you do a great job writing your resume, and all of a sudden, the interviews are coming in hand over fist. People are excited to have a conversation with you. You are not even halfway there. How do you get from going through the interview process to negotiating a job to actually getting into the marketer's seat at a great company? Let's take that step by step.
2: I will be talking about this from the executive recruiting perspective, of course, where you're speaking with me. First, I have reached out to you or any recruiter has reached out about a role, has seen something in your background that makes sense for the role and wants to chat further. So usually, I will just set up a time. 45 minutes is the standard. It's enough time to really get a bit deeper into what you are doing and why you've done it, how you've done it. Also, to get to know you a little bit in general, which is really important The small talk is an important part of the interview process because it's when I'm getting to know you from a culture fit perspective and just getting a sense for what makes you tick. So I would say approach that initial call or video interview as something that where you're not going to be, it's usually not a hardcore interview, at least when I'm doing it. It's really just a general get to know you. Do you have the four to five core things that we're looking for for this role? And if you do, what is the added value? What are the exciting things? And what are the things that potentially we should dig deeper on? So it's something that everyone has a really different approach and interview style. But I would say come to that call prepared to talk about your fit for a specific company. So do some research, as much research as you can on the company. You should know what the company is before the conversation. Sometimes you don't, and that, that's a different thing. But you know who the company is, go in, do your homework, and come with some questions. But one thing I'll say is, it's really a time, it's probably a 50-50 proposition. I would be asking questions 50% of the time about your background and figuring out the relevancy to the search. And you will be asking me about the position so that you can also figure that out and so that you can also see if this is the type of company and role that makes sense for you as a next step.
1: I think from the marketer's perspective, Julie, you and I have gone through this conversation before and uh, you know I think we hit it off and it's one of the reasons why you're a guest on the podcast is... You took the approach of trying to get to know me as a candidate and understand and match my personality type and my skill set to the right role. I don't know if every executive recruiter necessarily does that. I think part of the initial executive search firm recruiting process, right, it is about validation that what you're saying on your resume is true and that you could back it up and talk about those experiences, but it is very much about understanding who you are as a person and whether you're going to be a personality fit. And I, I just appreciated how you approached that when we talked. So other than being yourself and being comfortable, are there any things that marketers can do to basically frame their story in a way that seems logical?
2: I think it's important to be really honest and open about what you can do and what you can't do. And that immediately resonates with me when someone says, look, I, I came up through brand and creative and I totally understand performance marketing, but no one will hire me into a role that needs to be 80% performance. So we can put that to the side and then I can tell you why I also think this could be a really interesting role for me. The times that I have found it difficult to and have felt like I'm not so sure that this person is going to be right is more when I feel someone is selling me and trying to sell him or herself into a role where there isn't really a clear fit. Sometimes an out-of-the-box candidate is the perfect person for the role, and that ends up happening. And I hope that I can identify that in a candidate as I'm speaking to that person and say, you've got this in spades and this is awesome, but here's the area where I think we're going to have a little bit more trouble and let's try to talk through that. And I don't think anything is ever a truly hard no unless the client is saying no way will I ever hire someone unless he or she has this or that, or unless the candidate says to me, I will not look at anything that is for a team size less than 30 and where the comp does not meet the specific cash level, which does happen. And some people are very straightforward about it. Fine, we move on. But other than that, there's always a conversation to be had. And I think just the more open you can be about where you see your skills being the strongest and where you see them for a company that we're discussing to be, you know, this is something we should probably talk about more at that just gives us a clean slate to sort of move forward and figure out whether things can work.
1: I'm glad that you brought up comp and I'm glad that you brought it up early in the conversation because I feel like one of the mistakes most people make is they get far down the path of the job and they're almost to the finish line and then they start discussing comp, Right. It's like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain that you're not supposed to see, as opposed to just saying, this is the range that I want to be in. As long as we're comfortable and we're going to land the plane in this area and we'll figure out how and why, let's move forward. My strategy for having the comp conversation has always been talking about the total annual comp including benefits, including bonus, including salary. Now that does not mean, and I'll use round numbers here. Let's say I wanted my comp to be $100,000 in salary, at least $50,000 bonus, and at least $50,000 in other compensation, right? Whether that be healthcare or benefits or whatever it is. I would frame that conversation as my range for comp is between two hundred to 250000 and the minimum floor is 150 dollars and fifty. dollars That extra 50% bonus is variable comp based on performance, but these are the minimum thresholds across salary, bonus, and the benefits that I think is reasonable for somebody with my level of experience. And the last 25% should be variable performance based if I do well. How do you feel about that approach?
2: I think that that conversation would be best had in the second or third conversation versus the first Unless I ask you, do you have a sense for where you'd like to be? And that has all changed over the past couple of years. You know, in many states, I cannot ask you what your current comp is. And that used to be a question I would ask in every first conversation because I was actually trained that way at Corn Ferry. It stuck, but it helps because then you don't forget to get it and you don't get to a point where you have no idea. So now I can say, where would you like to be? I'm only going to ask you that if I know that there's not a lot of flexibility on my client's part in terms of compensation. And that happens, I would say it's with one of five clients, there will be very little flexibility. The other four, and and this is one of those things where I'm saying it, and I'm sure some clients would say, whoa, no, but there is flexibility and it can be a pretty broad range. And if a client finds a superstar who feels perfect for them, they will go to pretty good lengths to get that person on board. And that can mean getting creative around all of the structure, the equity comes into play, sign-on bonuses, et cetera. So I feel like you want to avoid it in the first conversation unless it's something that we have to talk about and put to the side, because there has to be this sort of dance that goes on. The more attractive you are to the company, the more likely they are to be open to a higher comp level. I try to help that dance occur in a really natural way by having more conversations occur. I also don't want the candidate or the client to feel like there was a lot of wasted time and then they found out that no one was going to be happy with the ultimate comp outcome. So it is my job to try to move that along in the right way, but you will have more negotiating potential. If you are right for this role and ultimately are going to be getting an offer for it, the more people you get to speak with at the company, the more you interview, the more you show them what you've got, then you will be. You don't want to shoot yourself in the foot and talk about a lower range than they may be thinking about. And you also don't want to cut things off when you could actually get something beyond what you're looking for.
1: Yeah. I can't remember the last time I was on an executive recruiter call, the screening call, and somebody didn't ask me for the range. And I do appreciate the advice of, you know, the later you get in the interview, the more valuable you are potentially. No matter when you have the conversation, I think what's important is being able to explain and justify what your range is. And if you're looking at, look, my, you can use your previous salary if it's a good one, right? You can benchmark against what the role should be, levels of experience. I think what matters the most is being able to explain why you think that's the relevant comp as opposed to just saying, here's what I want. Here's my number. I think having a rationale for it is important and helps people digest what you want. And nobody's ever accused me of my number being too low. I can't imagine <laughs> that being a scenario, but...
2: I will say from my side... When someone says to me, well, I don't want you to be shocked by this number, for some reason, it's often a lower number than I'm expecting. So it's interesting how that goes.
1: Julie, the next time we talk, you realize now I have to raise my rates.
2: Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very interesting situation. A lot of people will ask where you want to be. I do think there has to be a correlation with what you were making before, but also with what is market. And that's another podcast because we and many of our clients get these documents, these giant, giant Excel spreadsheets that are created by the venture firms. And they go out and they do their due diligence and they get from all their portfolio companies, you know, how much are you paying this executive in this function, in this city, actually, in this geography? So we can see, you know, CMO for a series A startup in New York, here is the average cash comp number, average bonus, average equity amount. The interesting thing about that is when you're looking for superstar talent, and there are obviously percentiles, you're in with that. So every client wants to find a candidate who's likely going to be in the 90th to the 100th. So a lot of that kind of goes out the door when you're finding the talent that you want to take you to $100 million from zero. So it's interesting. You can use the data and the statistics, but you also just have to feel things out and see, do we need Ben to commute from New York to Kansas City for a really amazing startup role? Do we need him to commute one week a month? Like Kansas City salaries may be lower than in the Bay Area He's in the Bay Area. He's living there. We need to pay him more. We need to pay him for the hardship of the commute. There's just so many things to take into account. But I rarely see things not work out in the end when someone truly wants a role and a company truly wants to hire that person. Things quite often will work out.
1: So let's go back and we we talked about the screening and we talked a fair amount about comp. Time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor. What are the general next steps? I'm assuming that the next step is you're meeting hiring managers, you know, people in the company. How many interview steps are? What's the traditional interview process now?
2: If you're talking about Series A, B, or C companies, you likely will be meeting the CEO. That might be the first call or meeting after speaking with me, which is a very good thing because you get a good sense for what that person wants, where the company's going. You know, it's that really deep dive. And you also really will know where you stand pretty quickly because if the CEO likes you, you move on to the next step. So that often, if the CEO is meeting you first, really likes you, then the next step will probably be, ideally, it will be to meet more of the exec team. So these will be people in other functions you would be working with because Likely, depending on the stage of the company, there will be either zero people on the marketing team or a handful. And if it's later stage or public, obviously you're inheriting something different. So you will meet some of the other executives, people who would be peers, and that may be four to five people on a fairly big interview day where you could expect to go in for, I'd say, a good three to five hours is normal. If you're flying in somewhere, you can expect to spend a day and usually the company will try to have you just go through two rounds of interviews in that one day. After that, usually another call or discussion with a CEO is a good idea. And you sort of go back and say, here's what I've learned. Here's what I think. He or she is saying, okay, here's where we want to dig a little deeper. And then, and this is the slightly controversial part of it, a lot of companies want for marketers They want to be able to test, how do you interact in a case study, in a presentation, in a working session? There are a lot of names for it, but how do you approach a problem? How do you solve it? How do you strategize? How do you think? So
1: the free consulting session.
2: Yeah. And that's interesting because some CMOs will say that's a free consulting session. Others will say, let me add it. I don't care whatever. I'm happy to do it. And I think it's somewhere in between most of my clients really are just trying to see how you work and how you'd work with the team and whether or not you have a style that's going to fit. And what they know best is giving you a problem that has something to do with their company. Now that can end up being difficult. I will say, I don't see a high number of people pass through that with flying colors. And these are amazing marketers, but it's tough because you have maybe six or seven people sitting there who know the company extremely well. Then you have a marketer coming in and maybe presenting, what would I do in the first three to four months if I came in as CMO of this company? And the person presenting is thinking, wow, I don't want to go too far because I don't want to jump into things where I don't have the data. So I'm going to be really general." And the people sitting there are thinking, well, I really want to see him or her say this, that, and the other thing. It's a really difficult situation. It can work, but I think the best way to do it, and this is what I am suggesting strongly to my clients, is to take the company aspect out of it, make it fictitious, make it a general problem to solve. It doesn't even have to be really marketing specific because you're just trying to understand how does this person attack a problem and approach a problem. Back in the day at Vistaprint, we used to ask everyone the train question, which was this hour-long analytics test. How do you approach this like turnstiles and a train? And we gave it to the head of global brand, all the people we interviewed for head of global brand. And the person who did the best on that was ultimately the best fit for the role we feel because she could operate in this environment that was very analytics driven. Anyway. With, I would say, seven out of 10 clients, there will be a presentation or a case study. Some of them will be impromptu, nothing required ahead of time, just come in and problem solve with the team. And some of them will require a little bit of just putting some slides together, putting some thought into it, and they'll give you all the prompts before you do it. And I guess it's really up to a candidate. How much do you want this? How much time can you invest and can you do this? Usually people do it. It's very rare that someone says, you know what, that's too much. I'm not going to do it. But it is an investment. And I think it can be a little bit tough, but it does ultimately give the client and the team a really good sense of how you might operate with them. And, and it gives you a better sense of how they're viewing things by going by the questions they're asking you, because it's usually interactive.
1: I think that there's a lot to cover there where you're looking at multiple stages, you're meeting with the executive in the first in-house interview, and as a marketer, you're trying to tell your story and figure out whether the top-down leadership approach is going to be something that works well with your style. To me, that's the takeaway of that first interview. The hard one for me is always the marathon interview, where you're sitting in front of five people in five hours, telling some similar stories over time, and, and that is more than anything an endurance challenge. What advice do you have for getting through the gauntlet of meeting all of the peers and staying fresh and communicating what you want?
2: I think it's really important to do your homework before you go in for these meetings. And it it is surprising. People are busy and sometimes they don't look at the LinkedIn profiles. We actually, as a company, send all of the profiles of people to the candidate to make it easier Find out what is going to make each person tick as far as you can. You're a marketer, so that should be something that you can do with facility. Be able to just talk about something that's going to put the two of you on common ground versus here we go, it's another interview. Okay, what do you want to drill into? I think the best interviews do have that blend of just you really getting to know each other as people. And then getting into things that you really want to learn about the company and that they want to learn about you. So I think if you can latch on to something on that person's LinkedIn profile, something you guys have in common, it could be a person you have in common and, hey, I noticed you might know this person, then just try to start the conversation off with that. You will, one of those five people will probably be fairly junior, not used to interviewing, a marketing executive, and you may need to actually help the person along a little bit and help that person be able to get the answers that he or she needs from you. And that's something sort of new in the past four or five years that a person being interviewed may sometimes, with a younger, greener interviewer, need to carry the interview a bit more. So I would say just look at each one as a fresh opportunity to get to know more about the company just by getting to know that person a little bit what made you join the company that's always a really great story to hear and just try to i think if it's an executive role you want to have that thread of executive presence going through those interviews as well and that's hard to quantify but it's it's sort of a you are also able to guide the interviews a little not too much because people hate when that happens and they feel like an interviewee is pushing them through their agenda. But I do think that you want to be able to talk about things that are going to be really relevant. And so to find a way to do that and have it be reasonable and genuine is really important.
1: Last question for you. When you get through the gauntlet, you've gone through the screening interview, meeting the executive, the team, the executive again, doing a presentation, you're at the end of the road. What can you do once you've finished talking and going through the interview process To put your best foot forward and try to land the job.
2: If you've gotten that far, you have a very good shot at getting the job. So at that point, it's almost...
1: It's always down to you and one other person.
2: Yeah, it is. It's sitting back and being appropriately interested. And actually, as I'm saying this, I realize how important it is. I think the level of interest should have gone up significantly. I think that People want to hear how excited you've gotten by meeting the team, understanding more about the company. Why are you really interested? You know what? People love follow-up emails. People hate follow-up emails that look like form letters. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed Thank you. That's not worth it. But a good follow-up email to these meetings and say then reaching back out to the CEO and saying, I met your team, I was really impressed here are some of the things I was impressed with. Continue to really enjoy these conversations and look forward to the next step. And then you can kind of sit back. And at this point, we start talking about comp. We talk about references. And we talk about, do you have any concerns at this point? Do you need to talk to anyone else? Oh, you're probably going to talk to a couple of board members, maybe one maybe two, three would be pretty surprising. But those conversations that the board members generally are not going to be having, I have not had a situation where a board member said, oh no, you guys all love this person. And I'm going to say no. But it's a really great chance for you to ask some questions. Why did you invest in this company? What do you think is exciting about this? How would you view my role? What are your expectations there? It's a really good conversation usually because most board members are willing to just put it right out there. And I think you can make the most out of that. And then, of course, the person will want to make sure that you have everything that the CEO and the team is saying that that you have going for you and that it all sounds good. But it really is sort of just, let's make sure there aren't any red flags that are raised during that conversation. So that's usually the last thing as they're starting to put together or think about putting together an offer for you. And this is talking about CMO level usually, or at the head of marketing. Um, I think if you have a CMO in place and you will be reporting to that person, it may be less likely that you're talking to a board member depending on how early stage it is.
1: Well, Julie, I said this before. I've always appreciated your approach to getting to know the people that you're interviewing and understanding who the candidates are to try to find the right match for what a company is looking for. At the end of the day, finding a great job is about building a relationship with the company you're going to be working with. And so, I think that your insight into that from the perspective of the recruiter is incredibly insightful, and I really appreciate you coming on to the Martech podcast to tell us how you view the interviewing process.
2: Thanks so much. I love what you're doing, Ben. So thanks for giving me the opportunity.
1: Thanks, Julie. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Martech Podcast. Thanks again to Julie Puckett, the founder and partner at Blaze Search, for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Julie, you can click on the link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can visit her company's website, which is blaze b l a z e s e a r c h dot com. A couple of links to follow up in our show notes. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, just head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. We'd love to hear from you. So we created benjshap.com question, where you could send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we publish episodes every day during the work week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Or if you'd prefer to have our content delivered to your inbox, we also have a a once-a-week newsletter with links to our audio players, episode summaries, and contact information for our guests. To subscribe, go to benjshap.com slash newsletter. All right, that's it for today, but until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy.